that we're willing to bear it because when the thing is attained the powers will be dispossessed and cast out the deliverer will come out of Zion because Israel needs to be acted upon it will, its deliverance will not come from itself it will be out it has to come to them from outside them when the set time to favor Zion has come that is when the church has come of age and it will not come of age in any magical way other than the pain and difficulty and confrontation, misunderstandings and conflicts that I've described to you in part. Thank you, Lord. We're going to take a little break. I don't know how and what the Lord will have in the time upon our return with the lunch bell. So I want to uh, share from Eugene Peterson's Living the Message of Devotional based on his own um, vision of Scripture. What's the word? What has he done? He's uh, put it in the vernacular, put it in the particular idiom of contemporary English speech. And sometimes it shocks you the way he will paraphrase something. Jesus cooled it, or you know, something like that. And you, you look twice. Here's a statement for today, July 16th, titled A Healthy Noun. A noun describes an object or a thing. A healthy noun doesn't need adjectives. Adjective is a word in language that adds description. Adge- adjectives clutter a noun that is robust. But if the noun is culture damaged or culture diseased, adject- um, adjectives are necessary. Pastor used to be that kind of noun. He's going to now go into a digression of the word pastor. But for us, we can use the word believer. Exactly. Believer used to be a kind of noun or Christian that was once energetic and virile. It had a meaning. I have always loved the sound of the word pastor. He speaks as a pastor. From an early age, the word called to mind a person who was passionate for God and compassionate with people. And even though the pastors I knew did not embody those characteristics, the word itself held its own against the exemplars, against men who had the title. Today, still, when people ask me what I want to be called, I always say pastor. He has retained the uh, pristine sense of the word, although everything in the Christian culture is contrary to that. And he himself has never seen an exemplar that holds forth what is contained in the word pastor. But when I observe the way the vocation of pastor is lived out in America and listen to the tone and context in which the word pastor is spoken, I realize that what I hear in the word and what others hear is very different. In general usage, the noun is weak, defined by parody and diluted by opportunism. It has suffered distortion because of the opportunism of men, and it's been made into a parody, a burlesque of God's intention for a holy word. The need for strengthening adjectives is critical. It cannot stand anymore by itself. You always have to add something to it. I find I have to exercise this adjectival rehabilitation constantly, redefining by reusing the definition of pastor that the culture hands me and formulating my life with the insights and images of scripture. I'm striving. I have to contend against the misuse of the word to to, uh, sense its original pristine meaning and to uh, have that as my reality. So what he's saying about 
the word pastor is applicable to us for the word fellowship or Christian or any of the great words for they all suffer abuse in our generation reformulating my life with the insight and images of scripture so we have to draw out as we did earlier from the apostolic scriptures a definition of what the body of Christ is speaking the truth in love to have a sense to what it is to which we're called because everything in our contemporary Christianity contends against it and makes something less and ironically we'll even use the phrase body of Christ men feel free to use the phrase have no sense of what it in fact means their churches are institutional or traditional they would actually be frightened by the reality if it ever took place but they're not hesitant to use it as if it's, they have free access and in that kind of misuse the, the meaning of body of, fra- of Christ suffers decline so we who are earnest about wanting to re- rehabilitate that word and establish its meaning have to struggle for it as he is struggling for the meaning of the word pastor the culture treats me so amiably it encourages me to maintain my orthodox creed this is a little answer to Phyllis on the issue of doctrine it allows me to be orthodox it commends me for my evangelical practice it praises me for my singular devotion all it asks is that I accept its definition of my work as an encourager of the culture's goodwill as the priest who will sprinkle holy water on the culture's good intention you can use the word you can have your your lofty sense of things but you need to be one of the boys you need to understand what pastor means in the context of this culture and this civilization as blessing and sanctifying the establishment the status quo mammon thinly disguised the greed give it a little aura and we'll let you hold your creed, have your confession, but play the game. Many of these people are my friends. None that I am aware of is conspicuously malign. They're not wanting me to compromise because they're vicious. It just comes out of the wash. It's the air they breathe. But if I, even for a moment, accept my culture's definition of me, I am rendered harmless. I can denounce evil and stupidity all I wish and will be tolerated in my denunciations as a court jester is a court jester is tolerated. They'll let me make sounds. They'll let me sound horrified at the fallen morality and the other issues that aggravate me. But that's what they expect. But it's no more than a court jester. Remember what a court jester was? A little amusement and entertainment in the courts of uh, kings and royalty and aristocrats. But not to be taken seriously. It's just a little diversion. So long as you play the game. So if I accept my culture's definition of me and I am rendered harmless, I can denounce evil and stupidity all I wish to be to- and I'll be tolerated in my denunciations as a court gesture is tolerated. I can organize their splendid goodwill and they will let me do it since it is only for weekends. There's a biting sarcasm in this man's statement that is so penetrating I'm only hoping that you can hear it as I receive it and reading it they'll let me get away with this they'll even let me organize some kind of an activity of significance if it's only for a weekend that is to say it leaves the weak uncontested and unthreatened 
So long as they allow, uh, I do not interfere with their regular practices and their idolatry and the seeking of their ends and their gain and their ambition, I don't go along with the weekend's activity. They'll make me a flunk. I'll serve some kind of court jester accessory, but I'll not be a pastor in the intent of God to call men to real discipline and service of a single-eyed kind for God. They'll let me get away with that. So long as for a weekend. Then he says, the essence of being a pastor begs for redefinition. And we've been just saying, the essence of being a Christian, the essence of being a believer, the essence of what a community is or the body of Christ is, begs for redefinition. Or finding again its original meaning as it was given at the first and expressed at the first by a church upon which the, the glory of God fell and great grace was upon them all. We have to contend for the faith once and for all given the saints. As he contends for it as pastor in an environment that wants to reduce him to a Sunday supplement, to an accessory, or, or to praying, uh, uh, having men swear uh, their oaths uh, on the Bible before they take public office or opening up sessions of Congress uh, with a prayer. Can you see? Religion serving the purposes of men but not threatening the purposes of men. Mm-hmm. So I blessed this man as precious and then when I came up in today's reading I thought, this is too good for me to just enjoy my myself. Because what he's saying of having to struggle for the meaning of a, of a word, a noun, pastor, is so much at the heart of our own struggle. What it means to be a saint. Who can define what cliché is? Because we're at the risk of having the whole faith turned into cliché. If you can take the phrase body of Christ living in the body and make of that a cliché, what, what can you do with the gospel? What can you do even with the word apostolic and prophetic? That's the last and final betrayal. When we take those words and make of them cliched expressions, we are at the end. And so as I often say to the Ben Israel schools, our prophetic function is to safeguard language, the integrity of words and their meaning. If we allow them to fall into disuse or to become cliches, we are at an end. So what's a cliche? Is, is a cliche a statement of an untruth? It has something to do with that which was at the first true. But through repeated use, out of the context of reality, which just becomes a verbalization, it becomes a truism, and loses its contact, its content, its vitality and meaning, and becomes a cliché. We need to be aware that this is a process that continually fights against the truth. How shall we speak the truth in love if we're not aware that the truth itself is in threat of be, being made a cliché? As this, this writer is concerned that the word pastor not become a cliché. A functionary, a flunky, a guy who does the bidding of a congregation, who pays his salary and gives him a, uh, whatchamacallit, the place to live. Uh, so long as he goes along, and he can even get sound radical from time to time, and maybe even implement it for a weekend, but nothing in a way that will threaten the status quo, or where the real vested interest of the hearts of men are. If he dares oppose that, he'll find himself kicked out fast or stoned. So, whether men are conscious or not, 
there's a remarkable pressure to have ministers fit in. And so that the word pastor or minister, servant, no longer has its meaning. And in fact, what is happening now with the word prophet or, or apostle? Where men are beginning to franchise whole systems who have appointed to themselves such a title. We will be held accountable yeah. for every idle or every yeah. empty word idle. we speak. Yeah. Because we've lost the sense yeah. of the sanctity of speech itself. The privilege which is ours and the image of God to fashion words and to employ them in sincerity and in truth. When we make a mock of that practice <coughs> and our speaking is just empty verbiage, it's what we lose our humanity. And when our speaking about the faith becomes cliched and hollow and, and trite, then we brought down the, the work of God itself. God forbid that we should allow words to disguise reality, which is more present threat. It's maybe the always existing threat. So what saves us from falling into cliches? What saves us from our own speech becoming empty or trite? Can you speak the body of Christ except out of the reality of the body of Christ? In fact, maybe the danger is when our speaking exceeds our experience. And uh, we think that if we can verbalize it, we have the reality. It's a cheap way to avoid the pain of obtaining the reality. But it would be prudent for young believers not to speak beyond the level of what God has inwrought through their experience. Mm -hmm. So that when the body of Christ, I'm old enough to have the memory, was the new fad. This may be 25 years ago. Everybody was quick. It was on everybody's lip. The, the body of Christ, body of Christ. I had to refrain from joining the club and not allow myself the privilege of speaking it because I know that I did not know it. As I shared the other day here, we had to shoot our dogs. In one of the early episodes of Ben Israel, they had become a dangerous pack. And when I saw myself weeping over the dog that was about to die, whose grave I dug, and who was shot by a brother with whom I was in tension, who volunteered to do it and pulled the trigger, I realized in that moment, my, in my soulish affection for this animal, weeping copious tears, that I had never wept for the body, that I had not the esteem and the affection for the body of Christ with whom I'm joined in community as I have for this four-legged creature. It took the death of the animal and what it broke in me in tears to see the truth of my condition. And by such means, withholding myself from speaking the phrase body of Christ and putting before the Lord to instruct me and establish the truth of the phrase, something else was set in motion. And I would say the deepest apprehension of what body of Christ means was living with anger. In the relationship of such total disparity and contradiction of a Gentile with a Jew, a Gentile of Gentiles and a Hebrew of the Hebrews, that in the friction and the, of the differences that God himself has constituted and brought together, I began to glimpse what he's wanting in the unity of the body that the two should be made one. It was a hard school, and I'm still at that school. But I tell you, I'd rather suffer that school than I should be another one pandering the glib phrase, the body of Christ, that will ring hollow on hearers because it is not 
validated by a depth of experience in the body. So that's, I put that out for what it's worth. And so I'm a little bit suspicious of three month schools that will make of us prophets or, or other cheap lib ways in which men are expediting or franchising the word apostolic or prophetic. So the, the faith, the real faith is really in a crisis and threat. We talked about it over the coffee today. Should we name names? Should we identify those who are flying high with titles of that kind, whose books are bestsellers and, and yet there's such obvious contradiction? Is that our task? Let, let the thing that is feigned be revealed as fraudulent as the authentic thing is increasingly brought before the consideration of the saints. That's the reason why the Anabaptists were pursued, hunted, and expelled. What they represented in themselves was a reality that the traditional churches could not allow because it revealed the fraudulence of a supposed Christianity by those who are not even born again. See so you have to get the thing that threatens your, your profession to be the true thing out of the way that you can continue with your, your fraudulence, with your make-believe. If you're at home in the world, you're out of the faith. Right? Pilgrims and strangers and sojourners in the world. That even while Abraham was in the land of promise, it was not yet his inheritance and he was a stranger in the very land that one day God would give him from the resurrection side. But while he was physically in the appointed place, he was a stranger. <laughs> Which is painful to bear. No one wants to feel strange. Everybody wants to feel accepted and recognized, admired. So we, we are, that's true. We're called to be the ungainly square peg in the round hole. God forbid we should ever fit. It'll be the final showdown. There will only be two classes. Those who dwell on the earth and those who are heavenly minded while on the earth. Which is a painful contradiction. To have your mind and formative life from above but required to be on the earth and walk it out in an earth that is inhospitable and at enmity with that heavenliness. That's a, that's a definition of what a saint is. One who is willing to bear the tension of, the, of, the, of that contradiction as being his life until he's called up into the heavenly place where his effectual citizenship is. So if you're at home in the world, examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. Earth is not some neutral place. It's what is carnal, devilish, demonic. So are you rejoicing for your, for your citizenship in heaven? Keeping in close touch with the source that you would be heavenly minded, which the world says means you'll be no earthly good. But the fact of the matter is, except that you're heavenly minded, you cannot be of any earthly good. So leave it to the world to turn the truth upside down and inside out which we have to rectify, not just verbally, but by our, the truth of our life. That we are an earthly good. In fact, it's the only good. Or else the earth will be, will sink into something hellish, because it's devilish and common.
So grant us, my God, a love for that which is heavenly, where truth is. Truth is heavenly. You are the truth. And the world is at enmity with you and the truth. It wants to disguise it, to pervert it, to corrupt it, to empty it of content, and to make it a harmless cliché that it could be quoted casually for the convenience of men, but not to be taken seriously. The whole book, Spirit of Truth, began by being invited to hear this outstanding speaker in Canada, and I went tripping like a dome because to hear a real word these days, and I'd hardly sat down and began to hear him, but everything went haywire. Why am I going haywire, but I'm hearing a perfectly biblical and orthodox doctrinal word. Why, why is my insight uh, crying out? Because though the word was true, technically, the spirit of the speaking completely contradicted it. And he was saying in his spirit to his congregation, don't get alarmed. I'm not saying these things that you should do them. But this is a biblical message. Remember, we have an agreement. I'll give you a biblical message every Sunday, and you give me my my material parsonage and income, and we'll get along famously. That's what his spirit was saying. So the truth is the whole truth, nothing but the truth, through and through. And what we are, ourselves are called to be, the word made flesh. We'll not come to it except we love the truth. And Lord, we know that it's demanding, painful to consider, to the degree that we've allowed our lives to be lived deceptively, where we've compromised and allowed the issues of truth to slip, where we've not been diligent to keep our integrity in the truth and have allowed for compromise we've got along, We've stood in circles with men and heard them joke and we joined them in laughter and so also then subscribed to what it was that was being circulated. We didn't walk away, we became part with that. So easy to be one of the boys. So Lord, we're asking mercy to purge us of cliches, of tired, worn things that have lost their cogency, which we continue to mouth because it's an acceptable form of speech and it sounds so much like what believers ought to be saying. We're asking, Lord, that wherever we are given to the practice of speaking beyond our own apprehension and reality and experience, that you would shut our mouths. For we don't want to enter into that kind of contradiction that we will be jealous that our experience would conform to what it is that we're speaking. So we bless you, Lord. It's not an invitation to speak less, but to speak more truthfully. And welcome whatever it takes to make the Word of God in us true. And so we thank you that you didn't spare us. You gave us a real environment. We didn't know what we were getting when you said community, end time, teaching center, refuge. But we came. And so we bless you, Lord, for the little history that we've had and the lonely outpost that we have been in these things, the dues that have been paid and the anguish of soul for many. So thank you, my God. Your jealousy, your watch care, your oversight, 
that you yourself are truth, and it's a truth that sets free. Give us a fresh regard for it, thank God, we pray. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.